0: Hey, this is Matthew's Table Podcast Channel. We wanted to thank you for joining us today. Hope this inspires you, builds your faith, and reminds you of who you are, but more importantly, whose you are. Okay. Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to Matthew's table. As always, we're glad that you're here with us. We're glad that you chose to worship with us on such a cold morning, so early, right? Uh, I'm really excited about this sermon series that we are in where We've been exploring some of the encounters that Jesus had with particular people found in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I want to explain why I wanted to do this quickly. First, the person of Christ is the most important person in all of human history that you need to know and understand. Your eternity depends on it, right? And for example, the uh, encounter that radically changed my life is from an interaction found in Matthew chapter 9 where I learned that Jesus was a friend of sinners who went to Matthew's house, a tax collector with all the prostitutes, and had dinner with them at Matthew's table. And it was from that particular encounter, as I'm reading the scriptures with no knowledge or understanding, never growing up in church, I realized that God desired a relationship with me. And up to this point God's unconditional love and the sacrifice of his son that that uh well intentional Christians would would do well sharing with me, it didn't register for me because I was convinced that it didn't apply to me, that I was too far gone. I was a sinner. And all of a sudden, by reading that passage about Matthew's encounter, I found myself in the story sitting at the table. All my preconceived notions were immediately destroyed. And in that moment, it was as if I had walked right into a surprise party where Jesus jumped off the pages and into the depths of my heart, filling this long standing void that I tried to fill with all these things in the world. My hard heart and my stubborn pride was melted by the overwhelming love of my new Lord and Savior. Jesus. I remember that day very well. I don't know specifically what day I was reborn. I know it was within a two-month period, but I do remember a day where I realized my sin against God, put Jesus on the cross, and I, I cried in such a way that somebody had died. I mourned and wept, and it was such a freeing day for me. All that to say, that's why I find it crucial to investigate, explore the encounters that Jesus had because. Each one that we're going to look at, Nick has talked about Saul becoming Paul and the rich young ruler, and we've already learned a ton just from those two sermons. But each one can be like a surprise party where we walk into a passage with some assumptions about God that turn out to be something that we're not expecting. We learn something I read a story the other day about a surprise party gone wrong where a 63-year-old man's family had planned and gathered together, uh, all of his friends and families and former uh, employees, because he was retired, to surprise him on his birthday. So his wife got him and and told him, hey, we need to head on over to Aunt Susie's or whoever. And they arrived thinking that they were just coming to a family bar barbecue and when they entered the back gate the the whole family and all the friends they they jump out and they say surprise and 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 they're all rejoicing and celebrating because they feel like they just pulled off the greatest surprise ever because of the look on his face uh reflected that he'd been surprised however his expression wasn't one of surprise but shock due to all the unexpected shouts scaring him he had a stroke And we think about that, we might even laugh about that, to be honest, but in many ways most of the encounters with Jesus can be a surprise party gone wrong, where many of our own assumptions are corrected by learning from the interactions that Jesus has with different people, which is how we land at Simon the Pharisee's house this morning in Luke chapter seven verses thirty-six through fifty. If you would like, you can turn your Bibles to Luke chapter seven verses thirty-six through fifty. You can pull it up on your phone, however, uh, you do that. Um, otherwise, I'll be reading from. Uh, I'll be reading it to you, and it'll be on the screen. So, Luke chapter seven, verse thirty-six. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the anointment. Now, When the Pharisee who had invited him in saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors. "'One owed 500 denarii, and the other 50. "'When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Which, uh, "'Now which of them will love him more?' "'And Simon answered, "'The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. "'And he said to him, "'You've judged rightly.' "'Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, "'Do you see this woman? "'I entered your house.' You gave me no water for my feet, but she's wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she's not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she's anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. It's the word of the Lord. Amen. And so Simon was a well-esteemed and highly respected religious official. And he invites Jesus over for a meal. And Jesus, by the way, at this point, had begun to gain a reputation as being a prophet or a, uh, a, a teacher in the Jewish community. And Simon invites him over for a meal, most likely with the intentions of teaching Jesus a lesson. And it's safe to assume that because of Luke chapter 5, verse 21. Jesus heals the paralytic. It's just two chapters before this. And in Luke chapter 5, verse 21, this is what it says, the Pharisees began to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? So Simon already had an issue with Jesus, clearly, right? And so Simon was probably wanting to see for himself who this man was, what all the fuss was about, so that he could expose him publicly and put him in his place as nothing more than the low-life, blasphemous sinner that Jesus was, right? And keep in mind that blasphemy uh, was the one sin that would and could get you killed. It's simply saying that for one to say you can forgive sins means you are God, right? So a little cultural backstory just to kind of help understand the significance of this encounter. It was customary in New Testament times where all they had were sandals, walking and traveling on dirt roads. And when invited over for a meal as a sign of being hospitable to your guests, you would generally, you'd greet them with a kiss on the cheek. You would then offer them a bowl to wash their feet off. And sometimes you'd even anoint their head with oil. And so people's feet would be dirty from traveling uh, in the dusty roads all day And have really dirty feet that we would all agree wouldn't need to be brought to the table, right? To have a meal. So, and the table, there should be an image up there. The table was, it's a little different. The table was centered in the middle of the room. So where we sit in a chair at a table and eat back then, the table was uh, not very far off the ground. They had cushions all the way around it. They would lay towards the table table with their feet pointing out right? All right and someone like Simon who was uh, well known and of high esteem, uh, a public official, he'd have dinner parties often inviting important people over to entertain or talk theology, talk about uh, the Bible that they had at that time etc and uh, beggars and Poor folk within that community, they were allowed to gather around, maybe up against the walls or whatever, but it was an open thing, uh, in hopes of getting table scraps or sometimes even just to listen in on their conversations. These were important people. Now, knowing all that, immediately we recognize in verse 36, this wasn't an ordinary dinner party. And Jesus wasn't being treated as your ordinary honored guests. That's why it's safe to assume, because Simon did none of those things for Jesus when he arrived at the party, which will be the biggest mistake of his life and the mistake I hope to save each of you and myself from making because we see the appropriate response towards Jesus that takes place in verses 37 and 38. I'm going to read those to you again. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that... Jesus was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster flask of ointment. Now, I looked that up and researched it, and uh, different people would say uh, currency translation in in different ways. But a safe one that we could uh, know to be fairly accurate is an alabaster... um, Flask of ointment was a, a, a very expensive perfume that would probably cost around $50,000 in today's money, right? So it was very, very valuable and expensive for a woman of the city who was a sinner to bring that in. That's important right? Verse 38, standing behind him at his feet, remember because we learned that he was leaning he was reclining towards the table with his feet out. She's standing behind him and she's weeping bawling crying. She began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. This woman who shows up Uninvited, most likely a prostitute, because it says a woman of the city, and and who was a sinner. Um, not only does she crash the party, but rightfully treats Jesus the way he deserves to be treated. Right? This scene, in particular, has convicted me all week because of her willingness to publicly humiliate herself for the sake of true genuine worship which by the way is rarely seen in the church today we're going to talk about this a lot But rarely would you see someone come into church on Sunday and just fall at the altar, bawling, crying, responded to who Jesus is to them and who Jesus is being God, right? And so quickly we learn that there are two kinds of people in our story this morning and two different responses which also would apply to us as the children of God, as God's people, right? Scriptures inspire and it's profitable for teaching, uh, rebuke, and training in righteousness and correction so that we can uh, be godly people. So the word applies to us today. This encounter is going to deal with some of us prayerfully in the heart. There's this scale of spirituality, and it's important that we figure out which one of these two characters we are, the Pharisee and the woman of the city who was a sinner. It's important because I've always said one of my biggest fears as a preacher is that a person who is lost outside of Christ comes to church on Sunday, hears the gospel, responds to the gospel, and is saved at Matthew's table, and over time gradually becomes a Pharisee. So I'm going to get straight to the point this morning. God hates self-righteous, prideful, spiritually arrogant, religious church folk who trust in their own good deeds and neglect to see their need for Jesus. Don't clap yet. We're going to get there. We know that because, because you guys could possibly say, ah your hate, that's kind of a strong word. I'm not sure God would, would God's a God of love. He wouldn't, he wouldn't necessarily say something like that. Well, Proverbs 6, verses 16 through 17 says, should be up here, there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Just 16. Haughty eyes. I'm just going to stop there for the sake of our scripture this morning. Haughty eyes. Haughty means somebody who thinks they are arrogantly superior than other people. Prideful looking down on. God hates that, guys. God hates it. There's no place in heaven for haughty eyes. One of my favorite quotes these days is from uh, John Ortberg, and it says, one of the hardest things in the world is to stop being the prodigal son without turning into the elder brother. If you're not familiar with that, I always assume everybody knows what I'm talking about, so I hope You forgive me for that, but Luke 15 would be the prodigal son and the elder brother story, right? But with that being said, we need to understand it's a dangerous place to be when you fail to often remember who Jesus is and what he's done for you. Matter of fact, did you know that the expectation for the Christian is to never think that they're better than anyone else with this? haughty sense of entitlement as if God owes you something but rather to grow in humility as a humble servant grateful for what God has done for you and by doing so your love for others sacrificially and unconditionally serving giving generously of your time gifts And finances is a direct reflection of your true understanding of who Jesus is to you and what he's done for you. Right? Because here's the truth, church. That Pharisee attitude is the greatest hindrance to lost people running to the cross. Because typically lost people being introduced to the church by attending on Sunday morning or hanging out in small fellowships already thinks God wouldn't want a relationship with them due to maybe how they've lived their life in the past or how they think God uh, sees them. Right, And so they look to and they look at other Christians who carefully conceal their sin in an attempt to seem as if they have it all together because of their own self-righteousness or their own reputation for being a decent person and unwillingness to associate with sinners. Think about that. Your, Your unwillingness... To fellowship with people that don't have a good reputation? Your unwillingness to rightfully respond to Jesus Sunday after Sunday is what the people that's sitting in some of these pews this morning is looking to and saying, well, if that's somebody that loves Jesus, I don't care, I don't look much different. What's the point? What about being salt and light, right? What happened to that? Did you guys know that God has a sense of humor? Huh? I want to tell you something. This is really embarrassing for me to like be, to like publicly tell you guys about this. But uh, I've heard different uh, conversations that's taken place and things that's been said um, from church folks, guys, church folks, um, about Matthew's table. Things like they would never come here because of the people that's here. Or they would never come here because they couldn't sit under a pastor who was a convicted felon. They've even called this the the drug church. Here's God's sense of humor. Meanwhile, they're reading the New Testament, which the author for half of it was guilty of ordering the death of innocent Christians before becoming a Christian, and who wrote four of his letters to the churches while in prison. Paul was a convicted felon who was responsible for murder. Yet those same church folk who would never come here are walking around with verses that God had Paul write on their shirts and on their coffee mug. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. A Convicted felon wrote that, who murdered people. And that, and that verse was written in prison. Isn't that God's sense of humor? These people don't even have a clue what they're talking about. So when I say I'm embarrassed, I mean when I'm put into the category as those church folk who might think or say things like that. Jesus has nothing for the person who isn't a sinner. And I need you guys to think about that this morning. Many of us will go from prodigal son to the elder brother. It's a, I believe it's a part of uh, our journey and then God humbles us and we start trying to gravitate back towards the, this middle safe place, right? Psalms 34 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those crushed in spirit. There's a Spurgeon quote. You guys know he's my favorite. It says, There's mercy for a sinner, but there is no mercy for the man who will not own himself a sinner. So in hopes of preventing ourselves from having a religious spirit, I need you guys to look at verses 39 through 40 to learn how Simon's surprise party goes wrong. Verse 39 and 40. Now when the Pharisee who'd invited him saw this, he said to himself, this is the, if this man were a prophet... He would have known who and what sort of woman this is. It's touching him for she's a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, well, say it, teacher. Quickly, what we see is this Pharisee attitude, right? Simon judges the woman and who she was. Simon judges the person of Christ, claiming if he were a prophet, then he would know something. Simon judges how Jesus is allowing her to behave, right? In their uh, their culture, the law would have said no woman was supposed to be touching a man in public that wasn't their own family. So Simon the Pharisee was upset that she was breaking the law. She was more worried about how she was behaving, behaving. And the problem with that is behavior modification is always religion, and God hates it. If the church is only trying to get you to act better, that's called religion, right? A relationship is recognizing that you cannot act better, left to yourself. Therefore, you need Jesus to be the king of your heart, right? I want to be careful with this next statement because I don't want... Also, treating methods and material things as greater than the person is equally religious and God hates it. Yes, we should have respect and a special reverence for God's house and stuff while being good stewards with what he gives us. But I'm here to tell you, I am the wrong one to come complain to in regards to stuff, right? Roger, somebody sat in my seat in church Sunday. I need you to take care of it. Yeah, I'll take care of it. I'll chop that thing up into a hundred pieces and throw it out the door for all I care, right? Because we cannot worship the creation. We have to worship the creator, right? I feel like I pulled that one off decently. I had all this other stuff on. I didn't say it. Back to the passage, because what you might've missed is important. Simon didn't say what's quoted out loud. Did you catch that? Look closely. It says he said to himself. He didn't even say what he said, or that's in the scriptures out loud. Then Simon gets quite the surprise because Jesus reveals his identity to Simon by responding to his thoughts. Meaning two things. Simon's failure to acknowledge Jesus for who he is goes bad for him by getting exposed himself. And if you remember, we assumed that he was being invited to the dinner party based on Luke chapter 5, verse 21, being a blasphemous sinner, forgiving people for their sins. And so Simon was going to expose him publicly, and he ends up being the joke of the party, right? Two things one, Jesus is God, and he knows all things. And two, those judgmental thoughts that you have towards others, Jesus knows about them too because he is God and God knows all things, right? So Jesus, in typical fashion, he's brilliant. He's genius, right? He's God. He uses a physical illustration to teach a spiritual truth. Verses 41 through 43. A certain money lender had two debtors, One owed 500 denarii, the other 50 denarii, right? When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? And Simon answers, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. You have judged rightly. The only judging we should be doing is towards our own sin, So we can avoid being in the 50 sin club and being in the club 500, right? This short parable is rich in gospel truth that I want to help you see. Matter of fact, we could use this short parable to share the gospel with lost people because it's so profound and it's so illustrative of what the gospel really is. Two people in, this in, in, in our encounter are being compared to two debtors. Everyone in here knows what it means to owe a debt, so this should speak to you in a profound way, right? It should put some skin on it, right? Jesus, being God in the flesh, is the moneylender, and Simon and the prostitute are the two debtors. Simon, being religious and all, Right? Popular in his community for being a man of high esteem and who also has a high view of himself, clearly would be the one who owes the 50, while the prostitute would be in debt for the 500 if sin was measured by money. But here's what I want you to see they both were in debt, they both owed something. To God. Verse 42 then says, when they could not pay. You got the money lender, you got two debtors who both owe God something to them that they both cannot pay. Both owed a debt they couldn't pay, which leads us to the gospel. All sin fell short of the glory of God. Guys, no one escapes judgment day. Because you cannot work or earn your way into right standing with God. Because you can't pay a debt that you owe. Yet, he canceled the debt of both. By dying for both. However, Simon, being prideful and stubborn, gets asked who, being forgiven their debt, would love the money lender more. And Simon is so arrogant, he says, I suppose. That kind of attitude towards the mercy of God is what keeps you from heaven, by the way. Right? Jesus just shared the gospel with him, causing Simon to see the free gift of salvation that was being offered that day to him. And if you're here this morning and you're one who internally just clenches your fist because you're fighting against surrendering to the Lord, you need to know that like Simon, whether it be plain old pride or fear, or you're just not ready, God stands ready in the same way Jesus stands before Simon the Pharisee, graciously inviting him to surrender. Psalms 103 Verse 8, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Jesus now takes us back to the initial encounter and helps us realize where we can all go wrong by showing us what true worship looks like. And unfortunately, I don't want to speak for you guys, but it reveals that most of us believers aren't willing to do what we see being done here, which begs the question to be answered. Verse 44, turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss on the cheek, but from the time I came in, she's not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she's anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who's forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And so after a lot of reflection on uh, this encounter just this past week in my own heart, I realized in society's eyes or the community here in Owensboro, I'd be seen more like the prostitute, right? Like just the sinner because of my background or my history or how I was raised or my lack of education or any of those things, Uh, unfortunately, and I'm afraid is what's responsible because sometimes like I there's this temptation that I don't want people to see me that way. Like I'm supposed to be somebody else now and I can't afford for people to know the brokenness I deal with on a daily basis, right? And I'm afraid it's what's responsible for my lack of willingness to be seen as broken or just overwhelmed by the love of God and deep gratitude for what's been done for me, which makes me more like Simon the Pharisee. pride and fear of what others think of me puts me across the table from Jesus instead of at his feet, teared up. Who are you in this story this morning? This reflection led me to a time of brokenness, recognizing that I would be more like Simon the Pharisee than I would this grateful woman who was a sinner and so I just made a decision I just confessed to the Lord and I said man I am not worshiping you like that like I'm not so I I just I took an hour and and I got it because that's what I get paid to do I get it but I just I reserved an hour Monday morning I waited till Hallie went to school and Brittany went off to work and I just sit in, in in private worship and I got on my face and, and, you know, was listening to some worship music. And I was like, man, this is uncomfortable. So, okay, well, I, then I just got on my knees and I hunched over in my chair at one moment. And I was just pleading for God to break my heart for what break his and confessing that if, if I was to be totally honest with the Lord, I don't want to be the one who owed 500. I don't want to be seen that way sometimes. And I began to cry, Lord, help me to not, help me to be, help me not to be a Pharisee. Help me not to be the elder brother, because when I do, I'm growing the wrong way. No one likes to be going the wrong way, right? But I'm here to tell you when you start. When you start heading that direction as, oh, well, you know, yeah, I used to be this, but now I'm, look look what the Lord's done for me. Look who I am now. Look how much I know about the Bible. This is so awesome. Everybody needs to listen to me because I'm the teacher now, right? When in reality, like, you're growing the wrong way, guys. Matthew 9, verse 13, I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners, Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. I'm no longer lost, I've been found, but I want to feel like I'm just as lost as the day it was that I got saved. Because I want to have that relationship, right? And so my prayer this week for Matthew's table has been that we would lay down our pride and arrogance and be seen laying at the feet of Jesus with our own tears covering the carpet at this altar. Like, why is it Sunday after Sunday, no matter what church you're in, typically, those who've been Christians the longest just sit there in response to the word of the Lord that's been shared or the worship that's taken place. And it's the ones who need help that come running down to the altar, right? Like I really wrestle with that, guys. I'm guilty of it. I'm guilty of it. But I don't know why there's this thing that keeps, like I want to be the elder brother. I'm entitled to God just blessing me without being humble. And I wonder why, why is it? Why? It's this pride, Right? Why wouldn't we, and I'm not saying you need to do it every week. I'm saying, if y'all were to be honest, most of you never do it at all. Your, fr- your reputation might get, be in jeopardy, right? But I suppose, I suppose we want to be careful because we might make a mess on the carpet up here, right? Or we might scuff up our Calvin Klein's. Or even worse, publicly be identified as a sinner in need of a Savior. But did you see so-and-so go down to the altar Sunday? Oh my gosh. He just can't get it together. Elder brothers and sisters, why why is it we aren't often found broken over our sin? When's the last time you sat and wept remembering who Jesus is for you and what he's done for you? May I remind you of James chapter 4, verse 6? James says, therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Are you starving for Jesus? Do you feel like you might be in a season where you're in the wilderness or the valley or whatever it might be? You need to lay down your pride. You need to get on your face. You need to cry out and beg God To the sinner who thinks and views themselves as unworthy or unloved by God and God's people, you know, the religious church folk. So what you do, because I've done this before, you love it when self-righteous people start getting their chest poked, right? And you hear Jesus give them the business or the, or, or the what for from the scriptures. But I got a question for you. Where's your alabaster jar of perfume? Where's your tears? Why don't I see you laying at the feet of Jesus, worshiping him in such a way that demonstrates you've fully surrendered? Because while you might love to hear that Jesus loves the sinner more than the religious church folk, he makes it clear your love for him is measured by your worship of him. So don't get it twisted. Those who've been forgiven much love much. To be the Pharisee, neglecting to see your need for Jesus is equal to being the sinner who refuses to repent from their lifestyle and come to Christ. It's not about which character you are because both are in debt, but rather how you worship the Savior of the world. Another Spurgeon quote. Of the two evils, Choose neither. So never think you're above someone else because of the grace God has given you. And never take the grace offered to you for granted. Rather, get on your knees, beat your chest, and worship the one who is worthy. Why would you not worship Jesus the way we find her worshiping Jesus? It would have to be only because of what people might say about you or think about you. Or maybe you just really don't know Jesus. You're playing the part. This is your surprise party this morning. Because the surprise party wasn't for Jesus, it was for Simon. And it went wrong when he thought he was better than the woman who showed up uninvited because although she had a reputation for being a horrible person, Jesus reveals Simon is the greater sinner. Jesus wasn't there to help her. He was there to teach the overly religious church folk a lesson because oftentimes the people who know God best actually don't know God at all. And I want to close this morning by inviting Christians to respond in a way that the Spirit would lead you to. Right? I am going to encourage you to be reminded of what Jesus has done for you and worship Him accordingly. Because whether you want to admit it or not, you owe more than 50. For those of you who identify with the sinner, like you know you're outside of Christ, but you're desperately desiring to have that void filled in your own heart, who's yet to surrender your life to Jesus, I want to leave you with the last comment in our passage this morning. Jesus looks to the woman and he says your faith has saved you go in peace that's the reward of the gospel message your faith has saved you go in peace all you need is faith in what Christ has done on the cross to be forgiven and to live a life of peace that turmoil that you wrestle against that's that separation from God Because you've yet to receive the free gift of salvation. And you might say, well, that's easy for you to say. Well, I'll tell you this. All I brought to the table was my sin, guys. I had nothing to offer the Lord. And he took it for me. And he'll take it for you. So don't let this morning be one where we don't respond in a way that's reflective of how we learn we should be responding. thanks for joining us today a special thanks to those who sow into this ministry if you'd like to partner with us financially text all one word matthew's table to 73256 that's matthew's table to 73256 it's because of you this ministry is possible if you like what you've heard click the subscribe button and share it with your friends You never know what God can do through your one act of obedience. Have a great week. We'll see you next week. God bless.